Orange is the New Black, Season 4, is over. But we are continuing to give you all of the recaps you could possibly want for all of your binge-watching needs here on Post Show Recaps. My name is Jessica Lees. With me, as always, is the person I would want bringing me water on my chain gang, Ms. Taylor Cotter. Thank you so much, Jess. Hi, everyone. How's it going? Yeah, it's... It's interesting. We have, this is such a, this is a season where things just kind of, there's such an ebb and flow to it. Mm-hmm. Because I felt like the first few episodes, like probably up to five, were very much setting pieces up. Then we had six and seven, which were very action-packed. Mm-hmm. Now we're back to setting things up again. Setting things up again, but you can definitely tell, like, it's brewing, right? Like, there's so many little seeds being planted here and there. There's been a lot of foreshadowing, a lot of, like, uh, something very small we mentioned early, and then it'll pay off later. And uh, I love it. Like, uh, I really, I am in love with this season. I think it's been great. Um, and I thought, and I was not high on it when we started. And around uh, this episode 8-9 is when I was really, like, on the edge of my seat, just compelled with like where things were going. Um, and I almost feel like uh, this back half of the season, it re- like it, it reads like a movie kind of like everything is uh, everything is like piling on top of one another, piling on top of one another until we kind of uh, are, you know, in it to see how everything ends. Yeah, that, it is true. And it's interesting to even think of the whole season as like a 13 hour movie. Yeah. I, I that's kind. Of, I think that's kind of how it is, and it's kind of how they expect you to watch it. Like we've talked about before, like they don't expect you to watch this week over week. And if you did, it would not have the same effect. No, it's it's true. Um, and I think it's one of the exciting things about Netflix is as a medium, they're producing this with the knowledge that you're going to watch it all at once, right? And which you know we kind of sort of do, but we really are human beings that can't really recap 13 episodes in one fell swoop so here we are (laughs) exactly here we are in the middle um and we should start out i think i think the most important thing that we see in episode eight is and it's kind of a throwback to the early seasons because now we kind of care about piper again Mm -hmm. and maybe for the first time in a really long time i actually felt some sympathy for her and maybe i'm just like getting residual sympathy off of her old cohort actually having sympathy for her. Totally. I I feel the same way. And I feel like uh, when I was watching this episode, I was like, ooh, like, this is bad. Like, I feel for Piper. I, like, somehow, like, you know, I relate to her again. She has, again, like, and this is Piper's MO, is, like, getting herself into messes. And, like, this one is just, like, so physically painful and visible and emotionally you know wrecking and she's just truly in fear and uh hurt and i feel that and i think uh so many props to taylor Schilling as an actress because i think that she brings that forward because there's a lot of what you can it's very easy and we mentioned this a little last time is like you also be like eh, well this is like the least of things that could have happened to piper um but she really makes you feel like how terrible this is and what you would feel like if something like this happened to you. Uh, I don't have a ton of sympathy for people that are, I guess, accidentally racist, (laughs) but uh, it's also like to just see that kind of physical and emotional pain that she's going through is very, very uh, heartbreaking. Yeah, very true. And um, it is kind of, but it's also, it's a little uplifting to see her getting the gang back together, not the gang that she was, that she's inadvertently formed, but gang in a more comfortable, friendly, non-white supremacist sense. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, Alex and Nikki. Yeah, Alex and Nikki, and it's kind of it says a lot about your prison experience when smoking crack in the middle of the cornfield is really a step up from what you were doing before. Right. Yeah. It's kind of it's like a peace pipe <laughs> situation. <laughs> uh, they it seems like everyone's just kind of like uh, yeah. Like, they're all there for different reasons. They're all dealing with their own shit very clearly. Um, But they're kind of just like, fuck it. That seems to be the attitude that all three of them have at this point. And uh, it's kind of, it seems like three girlfriends, you know, like three people that are just like, yeah, we're fucking in this together. And this sucks. And we're gonna, gonna do what we can right now. 
which is smoke crack. It's really reminiscent of like Blanche and Rose and Dorothy around the table with the cheesecake. Right. It's very sweet. <laughs> it, it it is weirdly sweet. And yeah. um and I guess it says something for the state of affairs in the whole group when the easiest problem to solve is the fact that you've got a that you've got a Nazi symbol branded into your arm. Right, exactly. That uh and uh solve it they did uh, pretty straightforwardly uh with red just being like you know what we're just gonna burn more lines into your arm uh which makes a lot of sense to me uh but in the long run i don't know uh, uh how she'll explain it either way but uh yeah i think um piper had a hard go and uh it's it's good to see her kind of uh she has to sit in it, you know, like she's not able to like call her family and get out of it or go to Alex and have her bail her out. Like she is, she's in trouble and she messed up and now she has to deal with it. Yeah. And now, well, now she does kind of need some help on this one, but I, it was tough to see her go through the same thing again. Yep. Yeah, one of the most cringeworthy moments of the show, in my opinion, up to that point, and then have to do it twice. Yeah, now let's let's have the replay. Yes. But I think it does weirdly point to a moment of growth for her, and it makes me feel, you know, I'm not a, we, not, neither one of us is a very big Piper fan. No. And I think this is really one of the more humanizing moments for her because she's really been insufferable for a lot of this season. And I would even argue for the several seasons before this, mm-hmm. but now I think having to, her having to acknowledge that she's not going to like her plan to become the prison kingpin is not going to come to fruition and that she really is going to need the help of other people. If she's going to get through the rest of her time here, I thought that was very humanizing for her. I agree. And I I think it kind of puts it, her being in a humbled position bodes well for the few, for the upcoming episodes in this season and then the fact that this show's going to be on for three more seasons, the more human and like what we can make her, the better. Yeah, I don't I don't love the window, but I think it's preferable to the alternative. Definitely. Um, something I probably mentioned about this episode and uh, one of the other episodes we're going to talk about today is uh, no flashbacks. Um, they uh, they decided to forego flashbacks in a couple of these episodes for seemingly to advance the story at Litchfield, maybe move away from that as a storytelling device, even though they don't move away from it completely. Um, what did you think, Jess, about them uh, keeping everything in Litchfield this episode? Well, we're kind of two in a row. We're two for two yeah. on um, on episodes with no flashbacks, and I think I think it's helpful. I mean, I I would hope, and you know, it's not the last one we see all season, so mm-hmm. I would hope that you know it's not something they're going to move away from entirely because I think and not going to go on another lost tirade, but. Mm-hmm. This was kind of the point at which Lost sort of started to jump the shark for me was when they stopped going off the island. Right. And I think we are going to see some more flashbacks this season, which is good. But I think it's okay if we don't have them every every episode because I think you'll agree some of these have been really shoehorned in. Yes. Um. I, yeah, I kind of, I'd be totally up for maybe an every other episode sort of thing. I think... Um, and I think a lot, we haven't talked too much about this, but the show has been renewed for three more years and knowing, and I think they knew that probably maybe not from the beginning of this season, but I've known that for a while. So I'm sure they've known it for a very long time and that they are setting the show up for long term Grey's Anatomy, like longevity. Um, and they, like it, it just it probably is not feasible on a lot of different levels to be doing a flashback every episode, but they, to keep it in the vocabulary of the show, I think is going to be totally necessary, uh, especially because I can only assume they're going to continue bringing in new characters and uh, we'll need to figure out what those people, uh, their motivations were, how they ended up where they ended up. Uh, so uh, it's, it's kind of jarring to have so not 
I think in total in the season, there ends up being like four or five without any flashbacks. But uh, to have so few flashbacks, I guess, is kind of a bummer when they have been one of my favorite parts of the show. But it's definitely not a necessary convention at this point. Well, let me ask you this. Like, if we are going into the a show with some real longevity, if we are going to be checking in with these people every year for the next three years, at least, how are they going to manage to avoid the pitfalls that most other long-running dramas have fallen into at one point or another? And most sitcoms, too. I'm mm-hmm. thinking specifically of, like, we're going to lose a lot of our principles at a certain point. They're right. all going to, you know, they can't stay in minimum security forever, right? Right. Some of them get paroled, like Aleda. Um, some of them are going to drunk drive and get kicked off the show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yet more of them are going to make it really big. Like, you know, Danielle yep. Brooks is not going to be around for the next three years. Right. She's going to go off and win some Tonys. Right. Right. So how does this show manage to avoid what I would endearingly term the Cousin Oliver effect? where or the coy and vance duke effect where they bring in a whole bunch of new people and expect us to care about them and we really freaking don't my initial reaction was musical episode (laughs) (laughs) yeah because that works out for everybody it always works i always love it (laughs) if they decide to not take that suggestion i would say um it's almost like they are anti-Cousin Oliver <laughs> a little bit <laughs> this season, which is like they um they bring in. And I thought that was exactly what they were doing with privatizing the prison. I thought they were like, cool, they're running out of girls. They're going to double the population. Now we have to deal with all these new characters. It's like this is a very specific example that I don't know if it will resonate with, but I used to really love the show Degrassi, The Next Generation. <laughs> and at one point, this kind of happened. Like, they kind of ran out of stories. And, like, a local school burned down. And they had to combine the two high schools. <laughs> so, and then we had a whole new group of people. Um, which was great for the show. <laughs> I liked it. Um, but, so, this season, I we didn't r- really see that yet. Like, we have, we have Piper's roommate. We have like these couple neo-Nazis. We have a couple of the new uh, Dominican girls that jump on, but they're all kind of in service of Maria. All the new characters have just been in service of the old characters. So though fleshing them out seems like, you know, a very potential path to take them down in the future. I wonder if they are being particularly sensitive to that in saying that like, oh, Every time we've kind of brought a new character onto this show, I would say with the exception of So-So, but like with V is who I'm thinking of, Judy King, Mike Berbiglia, if you want to look at like kind of the outside of the inmates, they've all been just sort of foils or storytelling devices. They haven't really been added to the core cast of people we're supposed to care about. So that's kind of my thought there is like maybe they will be more careful with adding new characters than you would think. Yeah. And, you know, in the first season when they were still trying to find their narrative footing, you would occasionally like every episode had the flashback and occasionally the flashback would be someone we barely knew. Right. And I think they've been a lot more careful about that. And when we do get flashbacks in this set of episodes, it is kind of like not necessarily people we were sitting on our hands waiting to have the flashbacks, but okay, it makes narrative sense with what's going on around everything else. Yes. Yeah, I could buy it. I don't think we're going to like suddenly, you know, all of a sudden the person having the flashback is Red's snoring roommate. Right, right. I I think that is probably unlikely. Unless it serves a greater theme of something that's happening. Right. Because the few times that they have, like, I think it's been a really mixed bag this season. Um with some of the some of the transitions have been very seamless and some of them like we were speaking about Maritza's flashback mm-hmm. as feeling like particularly shoehorned into an episode where it really didn't have much to do with everything else that was going on I think that's one device they're going to have to be a little judicious about and I think that's not the way that they're going to introduce these characters anymore I think we get to know them in the prison, like you said, in service to the other characters, furthering them, and then you find a spark of something interesting organically. I agree. I 
I'm excited to see where they take it because they are going to have to have a true ensemble cast in a way that I don't think any show has really ever done well. Yeah, I I am always so impressed by what they do here with the ensemble and every character saying so so deeply staying so tre- deeply true to their character's motivation. And even if those, whether those motivations are simple, which they rarely are, or like just very complicated, uh, everyone, even in the smallest little moments, and I think this is actually a good transition to something else in this episode, um, <laughs> it, uh, they really just like nail that emotional drive. And I think you see that a lot in Pensatucky, who we've mentioned, I think doesn't have a ton to do in this season. Like, uh, what she's really doing is it's, you know, refractory from everything that happened to her last season, which was really, you know, she went through so much and uh, uh, Taryn Mang really shone in that performance. And then uh, now she has to deal with all the repercussions of that. And even in her, you know, collective, like probably less than 15 minutes of screen time, uh, really nails um, who Pensatucky is. And it's very impressive. Yeah, she does a lot with the limited time she's been given. I'm not sure everybody that gets that five minutes of screen time could handle it that masterfully, but I was very impressed. Like all season long, we've been getting this like little bit of back and forth with her and Boo, and Boo has very strong feelings about what happened to Pensatucky in ways that I think she didn't necessarily have herself. Right. This show is kind of amazing. Like, you know, the first time you see her interact with Donuts, it's awkward and painful and you still want to punch the guy yep but he's starting to come around as one of the voices of reason in the prison and one of the like more compassionate individuals Mm -hmm. and how did how did this show do this how did this show make a rapist into a sympathetic character it's wild right like so wild and it's so easy to paint these co's as like bad person evil person and then the show is encouraged us to do that in a lot of situations or maybe encouraged is the wrong word but like we started out with like porn stash who was you know no redeeming qualities like this was a straight up evil guy you had bennett who like seemed good but was ultimately really bad and like they kind of we haven't had a lot of these kind of on the ground co's that bring a lot of nuance to the situation and if they do it's almost like a, a front for uh them actually being terrible people donuts is like he did this very very horrible thing but it becomes incredibly clear that this guy is so dumb and (laughs) like uh at at best right and like that he really does not grasp this situation and in like in zero ways do i take that as any sort of excuse for uh, you know, raping someone or sexual assault or anything like that. But I think it's important to know kind of that where that person is coming from so that like the right conversations can be had. And that's kind of like the situation that Pensatucky ended up on is that uh, when she realized like, like she, she realized that he didn't know what he did was wrong. Yeah. And on one level, you kind of think, how could he possibly not know that? Mm-hmm. But she paints herself as also being one of the most compassionate people, which, again, doesn't necessarily fit with the first impression we had of her. Right. I know. She has really come around on that. And like, yeah, from our perspective, you watch this thing and you're, and you're like, OK, like, obviously what this guy did is so black and white, terrible. And so like how could someone not understand this? I think like, you know, like in like the ridiculous, like, cli- like political climate and like, uh, that we're in right now, like you see this stuff so often and like people are it's so dense when it comes to like what consent is and what sexual assault is that something like this is probably incredibly real. And like, again, not an excuse for behavior, but like when you're looking at this, you're like, yeah, like I get like, is she supposed to come around on this? How do you deal with a situation like this? And I think this is a lot more nuanced, both on the show and in real life than like I normally like to give this situation credit for. 
Yeah, it's it's amazing how they've handled this because I don't I can't think of any other show that's managed to put this much nuance into a storyline like this. Right. I'll tell you that Degrassi did not handle their rape storyline nearly as well. <laughs> I can only imagine. <laughs> yep. I'm thinking I'm thinking even of prestige television um, <laughs> right. in yeah. general doesn't seem to have a really great handle on rape culture mm-hmm. as a whole. So I also want to say, I think it's ironic that um, the person who starts out the series as the most religious person and the most like in your face about it, it ironically takes her abandoning all of those principles to become the most compassionate and forgiving person on the series. Right. That Yeah, I think that's worth noting for sure. Um, yeah, she and I guess I mentioned earlier, like she's so true to herself. She is, and in the sense of, like, her growth and change as a person over time, which I think is valid. You know, this is four years in this prison for, or well, again. <laughs> and how, how fucking long? <laughs> for me, it's been, been four years. For them, it's been 18 months. Hard. <laughs> I have no idea. It, it, could, it could be anywhere from 12 months to two years. We right. really don't know. Again, yeah. Like four years in prison can really change someone. I'm like, no, that's that's just me. That's my timetable. Um, and but yeah, like that she's grown and changed and gone through like this incredibly harrowing experience and developed this relationship with Boo, who is you know just such a smart, uh, compassionate person in the prison. It's really amazing to like see a see someone stay true to their character and see that character grow over time. And again, with very little, like, screen time. Minutes. Yeah, and that's that's the writing as well as the act. For sure. And sometimes the writers don't do quite as well with anything like that. But let's move on to something a little more lighthearted. Yes. We can talk maybe about the resolution to the celebrity photo saga, um, which, you know, gives way to the hottest interracial love story <laughs> of our time. 100%. Big fan of this storyline. And I love that this is how they resolve it. They get Judy King on board with it. Yep. Because she has something at stake and they have something at stake. And the way that, the way that Pusey kind of pulls Judy into this story is, I think, hilarious. And I, I love watching the dynamic between the two of them develop. And I love, I love Black Sandy getting in on the, on the romance. And this is kind of a multi-episode arc. So we're kind of getting into, Something that happens like pretty much at the very end of this episode, right? We have um we have Judy just kind of running up and planting one on Cindy with Pusey mm-hmm. like cracking up in the background. And we get to see the fallout from this for the next few episodes. But it was it was a really interesting I don't even I don't even know how to describe this. I thought it was one of the more comic moments we've seen all season and kind of amazing that in the midst of this show getting darker and darker we can still find some really hilarious kind of slapsticky things to happen yeah i liked it too and i liked um i think it was in this episode that we kind of got an explanation for that drone that was coming through um that lolly was so nervous about um and yeah it's good like it's it's comedic but also interesting and i think like we had the snoring storyline we had the poop detective storyline which was to serve something a little bigger even though it was silly we have this which it is it's a you know there's all sorts of commentary in this it's really rooted in judy king trying to repair her reputation uh but it's mostly for its own sake would you agree it is okay it is yeah and which is good like they're needs to be some sort of lighthearted aspect to the show or else we would all be in big trouble uh and this is a good one because judy king and again like this show handles nuance so well and we've talked about this before that the nuance of judy king's racism is very uh unique and interesting and uh she is racist in a lot of ways and not racist in a lot of ways and but more than anything it's very clear like she is a businesswoman and she values her reputation and she is going to make the clearest declaration that she can to prove that she's not racist and it's very much like uh did you watch the office i did do you remember when michael uh, kisses oscar (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's um very it seems very much like that that's like okay well 
uh, the the least racist thing I can do is kiss a black woman. Um, so uh, it's yeah, I I like this a lot, and I like I like giving like the funniest and best people on the show funny things to do. So always fun. It was very fun. yeah. And I guess we haven't really talked a lot about this new chain gang development, which I guess we we you know we laid the groundwork for it. You had Caputo suggesting well, everybody should take classes and. Linda from purchasing with her pragmatic bottom line focused sensibility says, well, why don't we just have them do work for free and call it educational? And that goes over like I think everybody learned about as much as we thought they were going to learn. Yep. Not interested. Uh, really, they kind of figured out this one pretty quick. Um, it was funny. They had their um, their hot uh, <laughs> But yeah, I think everyone was like, yeah, screw this. <laughs> we're not working for free. Yeah, I I have to imagine that, especially because this is the entire cohort of people that were working for Whispers and making the most money of anybody in the prison. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they're aware. It's it's kind of amazing that getting branded was the worst thing that happened to Piper, Nazi gang or no Nazi gang, because really, this is kind of the bigger crime. Totally, totally. Yeah, this is not good. And it's like, I just don't even know what they would do to get out of this, right? Like, how, like, Caputo really fucked up and now all these girls are stuck and I don't understand really how they can uh what what leverage they have here at this point point. and I think that's kind of the point you don't have leverage because yep you're in prison yep that makes sense <laughs> so where else do we need to go with this episode I think we've pretty much nailed episode eight that's what I we got a lot of little tiny bits that you know may come back and may not, but I think those are kind of the broad strokes. Yes, agreed. This was a great episode too. I thought very emotional. It was a lot of fun, and it was there were high highs and low lows. Yes. So okay, episode nine. Episode nine. We do go back to the flashbacks here, and I think we got to go to the top of the story here because I thought this was maybe the most seamlessly integrated flashback that told the least amount of story. That's probably true, and I think they really nailed like kind of the thematic flashback here, basically what they were trying to do with Maritza, but like with implication. I do have to say, like when I was watching this, I was like, "Why? Like why?" (laughs) (laughs) It seemed to me, I'm like, "Are we just getting another like?" Do do do. Here's here's uh, uh here's Blanca's life, and this is this is the way she is, and like which is good and great information, and gives these great actresses cool things to do. But uh, no, like this one, <laughs> this one had a story to tell. Yeah, it had a beginning, a middle, and an end. Yep, definitely did. And I thought this also, you know, Blanca was one of those characters who was very very one note in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Like yet another one of these ones where. She just kind of emerges, and I think not everybody has done this as well as she has, where there is this whole rich tapestry of things that are going on with her that you would never have guessed when she was just the person like screaming about the devil in the bathroom stall. Yes. And over time, we've kind of, she's kind of had more lines of dialogue as we've gotten to know, like, the little, the little group of Hispanic girls in the prison, and she occasionally just kind of chimes in with something that's really off the cuff and dry and insightful. And, you know, there's, you know, there's a lot more to her. Right. I think something that's probably interesting is um, you, you can kind of write off people. And this is going back to season one, kind of Piper's perspective is you can write off a lot of these people as crazy and really have no idea whether they actually are or not. Like, <laughs> and I think like Lolly is an example of that, you know, for most of the stuff, it's like, is Lolly crazy or is she right? <laughs> and, uh, I was like, no, she was crazy. Um, she was also right, but like, you know, like Lolly was a mentally ill character on the show. Wonka, you're watching the show and you're like, I don't know if this is a mentally ill character or not. And ultimately, it seems like she's not, but she just is, you know, very singularly motivated. Um, and that kind of ability to, I think prison probably makes people a little crazy. And then people's, kind of very different attitudes and ways to deal with the situation and survive in that environment has them come across a certain way. And on a lesser show, these would just be two-dimensional characters. So 
great to see this happen. We'd have like a Rosencrantz and Guildenstern situation where yep. they're just like commenting on the real characters. But we go into this character who is very, like she has a very strong sense of self and she has, she'll go to any lengths to keep her own agency. Yes, that and that, like once I figured that out, <laughs> that was her purpose here. I was like, oh, this is so smart. I was so confused for every flashback until the end. So uh, we have Blanca. She's like this, you know, lovely like aide to this old woman. And more and more, you just kind of see this old woman try to control her uh, and give her less and less control over her body and her life until, you know, it kind of uh, blows up and she realizes how much control she can have of the situation when she just uh, doesn't really care. Yeah, she really has zero fucks to give. Yep. And I, at first I thought this was some of, some of her prison storyline felt a little bit like a flashback or like a retread of Soso's deal from last season where she was not being hygienic. Mm -hmm. But once this all fits together in this kind of, this overarching storyline of this is who I am and you can't take that away from me. It made a lot more sense. And it was kind of, it was gross on a new level. Yes. And I think that it's, this is honestly heartbreaking and I guess a little disgusting, but like the fact that like when you're in that situation, like your own hygiene is like the only thing you have complete control over and that no one can make you do anything because no one's going to bathe you. No one's going to, you know, force you into a shower. It's the only thing that you can really say, like, I, I'm not going to do that. And, uh, she really hones in on that. And it's the only, it's her way of saying that, yeah, things are unacceptable. This is something that we're going to be, we're going to be seeing for a couple of episodes now. She's going to spend a little bit of time up on this, on the, up on this table. Yes. And I think she has her own little, my, oh, captain, my captain moment where she gets up and it's up on the table and she says, this is as far as we're going and no further. And that's, it's pretty, it's pretty amazing. And you kind of like, I, I was kind of indifferent to her until this moment. I thought she's bringing a lot to the table, but, you know, she's not one of these favorite characters. And then she gets up and she's really civilly disobedient. And it's it's pretty amazing to witness. Yeah, it's very uh, grassroots, real. I, I appreciate it a lot. And it was not the character I would think would be the first one to make a stand. Um, so I'm glad they really... Gave, gave her this motivation that you know this girl doesn't doesn't stand for shit and she's going to uh put a lot on the line <laughs> literally to make sure that things change and that she realizes that how poorly everything is going i think we've pretty well we've pretty well caught up with the world of blanca yeah um and it's nice it's nice to see them kind of even reaching back into every little detail of what we know about her we know she has a guy named diablo that she had a secret cell phone she was sexting with him mm -hmm. and it's like well let's meet that guy it was a little bit it felt a little bit pat but it made sense like these are the things we know about about her and so we'll tie them all together we'll find a way to make that all work right it makes sense. it's like just good to know that the show is paying attention to itself right Yes. So I we got to talk about the new, the creepiest guard. Yes. Humps. Yes, humps. Yep. The the guy, like, he makes porn stash seem cuddly. Totally. This was maybe the most horrifying moment of the whole series so far. Yep. Very, very upsetting. Um, And I didn't, uh, it, it took me, I, I did, like, I was upset. And, uh had to rewind it to watch it twice because <laughs> um, I was like what the hell <laughs> like uh I was just not uh it I didn't understand what was happening or and uh couldn't wrap my head around it <laughs> I was like does she have to eat she's eat that <laughs> like was very much my reaction I mean we we already knew that Litchfield was not being particularly scrupulous about their background checks but mm. oh my god this guy's just like he's just evil yeah, he's like Jigsaw. Like, yes. like I was like, I, I was like, that's the only person I can think of that would do something like this. <laughs> um, and 
yeah, just like absolute, complete sadistic psycho torture. Like there's no, the, there's no human redeeming element that they've showed us on this show. Like it's like this guy is just a crazy person. Yeah. Or not even crazy. Like he's a psychopath. Right. Right. You know, of all the people you want in the prison, like this is the last person. Like I would rather have the dude that like flashes his nuts at everybody watching over me than this guy. Yeah. There is a, a like, yeah, give at this point, like something maybe I'll do is I'll do a definitive ranking of how terrible every CO is from beginning to end. Um, and I would say this guy, I, I, I guess bottom two. I really, porn stash is really bad. Yeah. I think this guy's worse than porn stash because porn stash was like, porn stash would do things in his interests. Like there was something in it for him. Like he would sexually violate the inmates in exchange for drugs and he was getting something out of that transaction right and he also had feelings like as we found out when he when he falls in love with dia yes but humphrey i don't think he goes to that place i don't think that's there for him i think he's just an evil person that derives satisfaction out of doing evil things for the sake of evil that is totally yeah I get that. I think like the sexual violence bothers me a lot, but also the mouse swallowing <laughs> bothers me a lot. So I'll have to think about it. I do have to say, uh, this might, this might incriminate me a little bit, but outside of their horrible characters, I am very attracted <laughs> to both humps and porn stash. Uh, <laughs> well, that's part of it too. Like that's <laughs> right. That's sociopaths. Most of them are good looking and charming. Yeah, and these guys, like, they nail it. And you see, I mean, uh, Pablo Schreiber is, uh, these, like, they are, like, yeah, they just find these, like, beautiful men and make them the creepiest, you know, most horrible, evil characters they could possibly be. Well, as soon as you see uh, Pablo Schreiber without the mustache, he's, like, Mm -hmm. a totally different guy. And I think, I gotta wonder how the actor that plays Humps how's he going to do in other roles? Because I think that's the testament to like, how good are you at the, at the acting? Like, are you going to be able to rise above this? Because we know Pablo Schreiber really has. Yes. He's gone on to do some other great things that really bear very little resemblance to the role he had on Orange is the New Black. Is this guy going to be able to do the same thing or is he forever going to be the guy that made someone eat a baby mouse? Ooh, I, yeah, I, I don't know. Um, He just has been like a character actor and other things. It seems like, um, luckily he's like a generic enough white guy that maybe people will forget. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I think he could be kind of a chameleon in that regard. Yeah. Yes. So, uh, but at, as Humps, he is incredibly upsetting. Yeah. Well, let's talk about more people that we think might actually be crazy. Sure. Like, we should talk about Lorna. Yes. We should talk about how she goes completely bonkers and... We already knew that she was not the most mentally stable person. Yeah, she is the most mentally ill person in the prison, I think. It's so upsetting every time you think about it because she's pretty much together most of the time. Uh, but as soon as she has the ability to start being paranoid and having anxiety, uh, she uh, takes that to a 10. Yeah, and... It was a huge shock, I think, to most people when we found out that, you know, the Christopher that she'd been talking about constantly was not someone she was actually involved with in any way, but someone she was pretty much stalking. And you figure, like, last season you kind of thought, well, she's evened out a little bit. She's found love and, you know, she got the wedding she wanted. And now how is she going to settle into that? And the the answer is she's not. Because... I don't know if I would go so far as to call her the most mentally unbalanced person in the prison because we are also in a prison with Lolly and Suzanne, Mm -hmm. both of whom have many of their own problems. But she does kind of emotionally when she she goes, she goes. Right. It feels like a less fun list if I was going to rank everyone's mental stability, but (laughs) you're probably right about those being bottom two. Yeah. And in general, we have, yeah, everyone, everyone here is on their own uh, journey. It's true. And yes, we all like we can't, this is not a quantifiable entity that we can rank people, Mm -hmm. you know, objectively. Totally. But I think it is 
it's it's worth noting like this is just another piece in the puzzle like mental health in the prison system is something that's also worth kind of exploring because it's possible that given the right cognitive behavioral therapist we could see some progress for poor Lorna but Mm -hmm. instead we get her kind of flying off the handle when she sends her sister to go check on on Vinny and it turns out he's not sleeping with anybody clearly the answer is that he's sleeping with her sister yeah. Do you think he is? I, no. I was like, maybe she's right. <laughs> I, like, so I, yeah, if he seems like just such a child, that that's probably not a possibility. And they've really, <laughs> yeah, this thing of it, but I was like, ooh, like he, he could be. <laughs> he's like 30 and he lives with his parents. Right. Um, that's not necessarily, he's not going to be attracting women like honey. You know, if he was doing all right on the outside, he wouldn't have had a prison pen pal in the first place. That's true. And, uh, yeah, I think probably the lesson here is that Lorna can't sit still. You know, it's if there's nothing for her to be worried about, then she has to find something to be worried about. Um, this is a minor tangent, but um, speaking about like mental illness in the prison, what we've been talking about. Have you listened to the Invisibilia podcast? Um, No, I haven't, but they it on every single podcast I do listen to. Yes, a really, really great episode this week about mental illness and like how it's handled in different parts of the world and how people can help other people with mental illness. And it was excellent. And uh, I've been thinking a lot about that. And it kind of is informing how I'm thinking about this show a little bit in that respect, too. Highly recommend. Okay, noted. Yes. I, I've been meaning to check it out. Hmm. They talk about it on Radio Lab all the time makes sense yeah so i think yeah she is just one of these people that can never sit still and if if there's no drama she's got a manufacturer so that's kind of sad to watch because you kind of felt like she got a happy ending at the end of last season right yeah she's a lot and she's i she's still one of my favorite characters on the show and hate to see her like i do want her to be happy and we see a lot of some stuff come to a head with her and nikki um which is upsetting like those two just really do care about each other and yeah lauren is just a this example of you know you know everyone kind of has their demons in this place like you can't even if you are seemingly okay you are not totally okay yeah but on the flip side then we have someone like blanca who we thought was crazy and turns out to maybe be the canniest person in the entire prison yep yeah so levels yeah it's (laughs) levels it's you know, not you can't judge people on their on their appearances, I guess. Yep. So we get a little bit further into Pensatucky and we have Boo like terribly disappointing everybody. Mm-hmm. Which was I guess I think it again, it makes the story even more nuanced and it's kind of shocking how incredibly deftly they've navigated this gray area where it's like on the surface you would think that you would agree with Boo 100%, but then when you're dealing with the actual person whose actual life it is, you really do have to respect her wishes. Right, yeah, and I think there's so many situations like this in life where you have to be like, I know, you think you're looking out for my best interest, but I have to do what I have to do, and uh, or vice versa. And Boo really does care about Pensatucky, and she's saying all the right things and doing all the right things but so it's hard to kind of see that friendship go through some hard turmoil it's also like maybe we were gonna see a growth arc for both of them i agree i love their friendship i I love them as partners yeah it's gonna be sad if if it goes away like i want them to I want them to kind of make up and be they're almost like cartoon characters at their best yeah i think they will i think both of them both of them are so interesting and compelling, but like the best version of either of them is like the fun loving kind. So fun loving version. So I hope we can get back to that some point. I do as well. And I I don't have much to say about most of the other subplots here because, you know, I don't necessarily care that much about Piper and Alex getting back together and talking about Shake Shack, which spoiler alert, not that good. Yep. True. Yeah, and then there's some more Judy King and Cindy stuff that we talked about, um, but uh, ultimately not super, no real consequences there. I feel like once we get past the baby mouse in a shot glass thing, there's really not much 
True. Else to talk about. Yeah. And if that's the worst things get, then like everything else pales in comparison. Yeah. Uh, but you know, it's not, you know, oh, no, no, no. this yeah. is not rock bottom. We're going to yeah. keep digging. Yeah. You can't get to episode nine and have that kind of uh, climax without right. more, more to come. Yeah. I mean, unless you have 10 episodes in your show. True. True. But we're, we still got a long way to go. And so we, I think we can just kind of segue into episode 10 because episode nine for all of the really dark and disturbing moments that happened there, it really did feel like on one hand it was very episodic because we got back to the flashback thing, but it was also kind of a connector piece. Yeah. It was really good about getting Blanca up on that table. Yeah, exactly. We got Blanca up on the table. That was the most important thing that happened that episode. And we don't need to spend 20 minutes talking about the particulars of um, whether or not Piper and Alex are going to give a hand job to the guard in exchange for a bird. Exactly. That's my feeling on that. All right. Episode 10. Episode 10. Um, We have Sister Ingalls finally returned in episode nine. I guess that was the other big thing. Sure. We've seen her for like two seconds at a time for the rest of the season. It's like, oh, right, we got to turn back to this because if they were going to ignore Sister Ingalls all season, I think I would have been very upset. I know. She's a great character. She is. And again, we have so many great characters in the show that don't get more than a few minutes of screen time. So it was nice to kind of be able to spend more time here and give Sister Ingalls something that really makes sense for the character to do and to push the plot forward, which is um, she gets herself sent to the shoe so that she can try to get so she can try to get Sophia out. Yes, it's very altruistic and smart, which is kind of Sister Ingle's MO. Um, yeah, the Sophia thing has really been back for a lot of the season, even though it's been it was kind of the you know, uh, crux of the season before. Uh, but we kind of, you know, we get Sister Ingalls in there. We see uh, Crystal, Sophia's wife, in this episode. Um, and maybe the last episode, too. Um, yeah, she shows up on Caputo's doorstep. Yep. Yeah, so she is, yeah, those these two uh, kind of blend together for me. Um, that, yeah, Sophia's wife is demanding answers. And they, she's incredibly uh competent and smart and knows how to deal with caputo which not a lot of people know how to do um and get having uh gloria and uh sister ingles on the inside is getting her getting her work done for her yeah and you know of all the people you would expect to be smuggling things in their lady parts mm -hmm. like it's no wonder nobody checked up on the nun <laughs> yeah good for her so uh she it has a cell phone apparently and it's uh just the way uh uh the i guess the most effective method <laughs> uh to get sent to the shoe and to get the most information that you can yeah and we also it means we get a little bit more berbiglia yes which is great and we get caputo finally getting off his ass and actually handling shit which he has not been doing up this right and big fan of Caputo as we've talked about and like kind of he falls out of grace for me in these uh, couple episodes here that he is all uh all image and no real work right he's kind of too preoccupied with with Linda from purchasing yes and is kind of ignoring the, the ways the prison is really falling apart around him and when he finally realizes that there are things that he needs to act on he doesn't always know how to act on them so to have him finally kind of stick to the man in this case was very satisfying, I thought. Yes, and ultimately they rescue Sophia. So, you know, we're getting Sophia back. So whatever project Laverne Cox was on the <laughs> first half of the season, she was off it at this point. Yep, and uh, Sophia looks like hell. Yeah, she does. <laughs> so uh, they're able to kind of uh, gang her back, so integrated into the... So, uh, in this case, the somewhat luxurious life of being in Litchfield. Yeah. And again, it's it's all about, you know, it's all about relativity. Because yep. Litchfield's a terrible place and terrible things happen to people all the time in it. But sometimes it's the preferable scenario. Yeah. But I think that's been a little bit of the theme of this season, too, is we get people out of Max back here. We get them out of the shoe back here. Uh, and 
like things here are really, really, really bad, but there's something like there's something here that compels people to want to be here and more so than those places. Like this is hell, but it's not as bad as these other places. Yeah. And we talked about that a little bit in our last podcast where Mm -hmm. we talked about how, um, you know, nobody wants to get sent to psych because psych is the worst possible place. Yeah. It seems like there's a lot of things that are even worse than this. And I think that's also something to keep in mind as they're soapboxing about the conditions in the prison is this is this is a vacation compared to what some people are going through. Right. And that's like hard to wrap your head around. Yeah, it's very hard to kind of get behind. And we had we had the lighter we had the sort of lighter side of the episode with the um, movie night drama. Yeah, the whiz. Wiz, uh, have you seen The Wiz, Taylor? I saw, I've never seen the actual film, The Wiz, but I did see The Wiz live. The, on, on Queen Latifah? Yes. <laughs> I watched, I watched bits of that. I did not yes. watch the whole thing. Yes. Um, but I saw the movie ages and ages ago. It is a pretty great movie, so I guess I can understand the enthusiasm for it. And it's, I, I'm not sure that this necessarily furthered the, plot of like racial tension within the prison it seemed like kind of a flimsy thing to hang this on right yeah i don't think everyone coming together to watch the whiz can really fix much but i i get uh the desire to do it yeah i i can definitely see it, it makes it makes sense in the context of the characters i just wonder why we spend so much time on it yeah, I'm not sure either. Um, I think, yeah, yeah, I have no real idea. It can, it seems very in character and like tracks for Tasty to be really, really excited to watch this movie and, uh, that to really fight for it and say like this, like this is important and we watch too many white movies. And I don't know, maybe it's like a commentary on like sort of like the futility of like these small things, you know, in the greater kind of racial landscape. But, um, I mean, uh, like, I think people, uh, this is a, it's true. You know, there's a lot, uh, there's not a whole ton of, uh, black media. And then even when it is, you know, it's hard to, it's not as celebrated, you know, across the board as it should be. And, uh, the ability to kind of get excited about something like this, I have to imagine is uh, few and far between in Litchfield. Yeah. It, that's, that, that is true. Mm-hmm. And it does kind of, you know, it, it doesn't lay any groundwork for anything on its own, but it does kind of push the story along a little bit, I guess. Yes. Maybe not as much as I would have liked something taking up that much time in the episode to do, but it was, it was instructive. Totally. And I think we got to talk about like absolutely heartbreaking 30 second scene that we get between Pensatucky and Donuts in this episode, because I feel like this is just kind of the whole thing is cresting at this point. Mm-hmm. And this was really hard to watch and very sad. She does, Taryn Manning is, just does such a tremendous job with such a complicated situation here. And even the last two episodes has been building to this, but this confrontation where they are almost, like, it's almost back to the dynamic they had before the rape. Yep. And I think this is probably a super common thing in real life. And it's just, this guy really made her feel important and like yet like he assaulted her and he raped her and he did these terrible things but she is so lonely and she really has so few people that she felt like cared about her in this prison and he even though he really messed up was uh was one of them it was really tough and it also like it puts another it puts another side to him too like yes we've noted that he's one of the nicer guards but now it's like he really is a compassionate guy and he really does realize how terribly he messed up. And so that was, that was also, I feel like this is almost, there's almost resolution here. Yeah. And like, kind of seems like they might be okay. Like, I'm not really sure how to think about it. Yeah. I'm, I'm not quite sure either. Um, but we can also, we should probably also talk about, um, do you think we're going to see Elena again? Um, I don't think we have to, to be honest. Um, I think her storyline with Daya was very full. Um, and it, uh, like, I feel like we know more about their family and their backstory than really anyone else. And, like, I was really, I 
for me, who like a lot of this stuff uh, from previous seasons kind of goes in one ear and out the other, like really, I was like, oh yeah, the baby, oh yeah, his girlfriend, you know, like all that stuff was very, I was like, I'm very familiar with this family and their family dynamics. I hope we can like see her on some sort of path to success or how like her as Daya's mom. But in general, I'm not sure if her, I think kind of her storyline as her own character might be over. Yeah, we and we spoke about this a little bit earlier when we found out she would be getting out. That we we know that that story has been told where someone gets out, can't handle it, reoffends immediately, and comes back. Right. We saw this happen to Tasty. Um, so I don't think that's the direction they're going to go with it. But I would guess that she has someone who's connected to someone who's still in the prison. We can at least get updates on her life and find out whether or not she's managed to kind of get it together on any level right and for that reason she was kind of probably the perfect inmate to release uh she's someone who we know a lot about that we're invested in as the character but almost in sort of as part of dia's story more so um and having her on the outside and potentially getting that baby back and like re-engaging that whole story is gives her a lot more to do than being in the prison um, and if we ever want to check back in with her, it's pretty easy. So I like her as the person they released, especially, and I, uh, earlier in the season, they were like, you've had good behavior and haven't done anything wrong. And I was like, oh yeah, like she's one of the few people we've <laughs> seen really not getting into any trouble in, in the whole time we've been watching this. So, uh, I think they couldn't go too long with no one getting released. So if she's the one that makes the most sense, I'm okay with it. Yeah. And there was a point where. There was a story being told in one of the earlier episodes about um, about a woman walking along, walking home by herself after getting released from prison, being mistaken for a prostitute and picked up again. I really thought for a hot second they were going there with her. Ooh, that would have been really, like, really good uh, full circle. Because we hit this, we hit that exact shot. We have this shot of her, like, she goes into a boutique and buys this very brightly colored revealing dress puts on the dress and then like storms out by herself and that's exactly what it looks like and i was really wondering if they were gonna actually have that story play out but i was i was glad they didn't that would have been really interesting and i like really would have been so uh thoughtful but i am also glad that they didn't yeah so i think we will continue to see updates but i think i think we may be like Anything that happens from here on out is going to be through Daya's eyes. Makes sense. Daya is a character that has definitely not had a lot to do this season. Yeah, Daya is hardly there. They could have let her out. We wouldn't have even noticed. Right, totally. And it's been all, really all about her the last three seasons. So uh, I guess she gets a break. But uh, truly, you know, maybe five lines in all the episodes that we've seen so far, if that. Yeah, it, it's very interesting to me that... Um, the actress that plays Elena showed up on Fear the Walking Dead. I heard that. And she was not on the entire run. Like she has, she is now no longer on the show. And when she stopped being on the show, I wondered if it was just because she needed to get back to Orange is the New Black. But now she's not really going to be on Orange is the New Black very much anymore. Right. So I wonder if she's got something else in the hopper, like some new project. I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, I like her a lot as an actress. Um, and I think that, I think all these women are going to find plenty of work to do. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if she has something else in the, in the can. Yeah. Because I, I, I assumed like it was going to be one or the other. She would leave one or both of the show, one or the other shows, but she ends up leaving both. True. That actress, um, Elizabeth Rodriguez, she's also a lot younger in real life than she plays on the show. Oh, well, she looks younger than she's supposed to be on the show. Yeah. Um, and I know she's still supposed to be, like, pretty young on the show. Like, if Daya's, like, 20, she's probably, like, you know, between 38 and 42 or something like that. Um, but I think in, she's, like, 35 in real life. So she'll probably have a lot to do for a while. Yeah, I'm, I'm very curious now. I kind of want to know. Yeah, she is, in fact, 35. Yeah, and I think the actress that plays Daya is, like, 28 or something like that. <laughs> Yeah, well, I think you do frequently, for people that are supposed to be like 19 or 20, you do tend to cast 20-something actors. So. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Dasha Polanco is 33. What? Yeah. So she's 
two years, two years younger older. than the woman playing her mother. Yep. Oh, Hollywood. Ah, uh, that's that's pretty crazy. Yeah, that's crazy. Considering she's supposed to be playing like a teenager. These girls, they they do so well. I think everyone on this show is supposed to be a lot younger than I think they are. That's probably true. Yeah. So who else do we need to talk about from this episode? I mean, I know there's one big moment that we do have to get to, which is probably the the final establishing shot of the episode, which is, you know, they buried a dude in the garden in the first episode. That was going to come up. Oh, yeah. That uh, that was tied up so neatly <laughs> that I pretty much forgot about it. And then uh, you can't get too far. Uh, and uh, without, you know, finding a hand where you might not, where you might not expect one. That's, uh, that's it, Chekhov's corpse there. Yeah, Chekhov's corpse, uh, gave our, our hot guy something, <laughs> something to do. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, that body was found and there's no immediate resolution, but, uh, you can feel the fallout coming. Well, and I think this is, I think this is fantastic, to be honest. This is like, you knew they had to get caught. You knew that, you know, it was going to come up because it was already, it felt like, why wasn't anybody wondering why this guy didn't show up for work? (laughs) You know, obviously he doesn't have any connections to anybody in the area. So like, nobody's going to report him missing because he's a hitman. But aren't they going to be like, well, what about that new guy? Wasn't he supposed to have clocked in and he didn't? Yeah, no one even mentioned that at all. Uh, but they made it seem like this was, this was going to get wrapped up real nice. Um, so I'm glad it wasn't. Because uh, if this was how it works, like, why not kill all the guards? <laughs> so, um, yeah. I think I think after about the second or third one, people would start to notice. Uh, yeah, I would hope so. I mean, it is a crappy job. I can see the temptation to just walk off of it. And never be heard from again, but that's not going to happen to everybody. No, it does happen to some of them. That's what Bennett did. That's true. That is what Bennett did. So maybe yep. they maybe they just figured this guy pulled a Bennett. Yeah, there's just some sort of attrition rate of these guards that they that they account for. But yeah, so uh, waiting to see kind of who ends up taking the blame for this and uh, how lolly's uh seemingly insane premonition ended up being true and how uh, crazy alex's uh paranoia uh how she handles that now that everything is uh working out exactly how she thought that's kind of a theme with alex right she's very paranoid but then she's always right well just because just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they're not out to get you right that that's alex's theme that is indeed alex's theme Mm -hmm. so yeah this was and it was also like kind of running this body in the garden has been a running theme like the telltale heart. Yeah. You knew that someone was going to like someone was going to find it at some point. And now it's just a matter of like whether or not they tie it back to anything. Like how do they figure out are they going to figure out what happened to this guy and who did it? And are they going to be totally wrong? It's probably some of all of that. Yeah. Probably some of all of that. It's it's a kind of a ticking time bomb here. Um, and I kind of can't wait to see Healy's reaction to it either, because you know there are there's a handful of people on the prison campus that have had this conversation about there's a guy that's chopped up and buried in the garden, and one of them had that conversation and didn't realize it was a real thing. Yep. Uh, yeah, I think that uh, at best. Healy will be unhappy. <laughs> um, and uh, at worst, yeah, this is really, really bad. Luckily, like, I mean, Lolly only, I think, only told Healy this, right? Like, she, it, it was in a delusion. There was no actual sort of reporting of this. Everyone else has somehow managed to keep their mouths shut. But uh, yeah, um, we'll definitely see that fallout. Yeah, he's gonna, he might have a worse reaction than Alex. I, yeah, that is probably likely. Highly likely. So, anywhere else we need to go here, or once you get to the body in the garden, is there really any place else to go? I think that's most of it. Uh, this was another, like, another no flashback, just a lot of, um, moving plots along, uh, 
gang, I think getting Sophia out was huge. Something that we've been waiting for. Really, we see like all this racial tension coming to a head and brewing. And then uh, finding that hand is really uh, setting stuff up. So we're tying some up some loose ends and ripping apart some new ends. <laughs> I, I think it's really interesting the, the amount of time that we are, the amount of episodes that we're covering in each podcast because we really have had arcs because we had the last arc was kind of, it wraps up with, with Nikki coming back and this one's wrapping up with Sophia coming back. Totally. And those are like two very positive, nice things. And then it also like, like this is episode 10 and like they're really like, it seems like some stuff is just starting. <laughs> um, and like we have the Blanca thing, which is kind of just a thread that continues. Um, and then it's becoming very clear that there's a lot of racial tension between all the different groups. Tension is probably an understatement. Everything is just brewing. And it's, you know, we're closing up some storylines and really big gaping holes for some others. Yeah, it's it's kind of like if you're reading a book and things start to get really, really great. And then you look at how much book you have left mm-hmm. and you think, how are they going to resolve all this in the last 20 pages? Like, it doesn't seem possible. Right. And, you know, maybe they will, maybe, maybe they won't. <laughs> it might just get, like, more and more crazy. Right. Um, but I think, the, I think the other interesting thing is that both of these three-episode arcs end on a really, really gruesome visual. Totally. That really complicates things for everybody. Yeah. So, you know, that's a pretty gory note to end our episode recaps on. But we'll be back. We've got three more episodes to get all of this wrapped up and i'm sure and i'm sure leave many things tantalizingly hanging open for next year definitely uh so we'll be back talking uh the next couple episodes very soon yes very soon um if you guys want to leave us some feedback give us some comments how are you liking how things are shaping up so far like when you know flash back to your own binge watch because i know y'all watched this all in one weekend and God bless you. Um, how how were you feeling at this point? Like, were you overwhelmed? Were you surprised? Did you have that moment where you weren't sure they could possibly wrap it all up in three more episodes? Mm-hmm. We'd love to hear how you're taking everything in this season. So you can go ahead and leave us some comments over at postshowrecaps.com. Just find the page for the particular podcast you want to comment on, and it's very simple from there. You can also tweet at us. Um, you can reach me at HaymakerHattie. You can reach me at Taylor Cotter. Uh, at this point, uh, when by the time you hear this episode, uh, we are we will be completely caught up and uh, spoiled, if you will. So uh, shoot us all your questions and thoughts about the series, and uh, we'll talk about them. Yeah, feel free to assume at this point that as you're hearing this, we've seen everything and mm-hmm. we know everything, or we would like to hear we'd like to hear your thoughts on the whole run, and we will probably have. Um, if you want to leave us some extra feedback, we'll probably want to have some feedback to wrap up our whole exploration of the season at the end of the next podcast. So we hope we will hear from you. Um, thank you all for bearing with us. Taylor, can you think of any kind of hashtag that we would want to throw on this? Um, I guess I either want to know this is if you're team humps or team porn stash. <laughs> um, and I guess I mean that in the sense of who is the worst. <laughs> yeah, who's the literal worst? Is it Humps yeah. or Porn Stash? Yes. I, yeah, that's, that's a pretty good one. Um, yeah. Team Humps or Team Porn Stash. We want to hear from you on that. So thanks everybody for tuning in and we'll see you next time. See you next time. <laughs> <laughs>